We've got a little after seven, so uh, I promise I'll have you out of here at a good time so you can still have plenty of time to fellowship and, and talk. Uh, so welcome to once again to our Wednesday night Bible study. Uh, we are uh, obviously going through the book of Romans, and tonight we make it to verses 11 through 14 of chapter 6, and uh, four verses that are absolutely uh, packed with truth and very practical uh, truth. Uh, the title of our lesson is The Battle with Sin. Now, Last week, uh, I asked this question, what is uh, sanctification? And, and the definition that I gave was sanctification is this process of growing to be more like Christ. And, um, uh, and I said, that's kind of how we measure ourselves, right? We, am I getting more like Christ? And I, when I gave that definition, one of the things I said was that it, it really frustrates me. I was saved when I was 11 years old. I turned 58 last week, 47 years, and I often look at myself and think, why have I not made more progress? 47 years, I ought to be a saint by now, and I am far, far uh, from it. The problem with it is I think most of us see sanctification as a goal. We, we, it's all about performance, and we're always measuring ourselves and successes and failures. And if you're like me, I focus on the failures a lot more than I do on the successes. And so it can be very frustrating. And what I said last week was that what I really think we need to start doing is start stop focusing on successes and failures and stop start focusing on Jesus Christ. It's not so much about me becoming more like Jesus. It's really about me letting Jesus be Jesus in me. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that tonight. Now... Before I get to that, I want to throw in a little freebie here. This week I was uh, watching, a, a Kathy and I are living in a camper right now while we're building a house, and so really all we got to do is watch YouTube videos. That's, that's, there's not a whole lot going on in that camper. And uh, so I was watching a video uh, about people who claim to have died and gone to heaven. And then they come back and they write books and they, and they, they go on the talk show circuit and they make a lot of money. And, uh, and people just seem to be fascinated by these uh, books about people going to heaven. And uh, one of the things that the, the guy on the video pointed out, and he was 100% right, is this. Everything you need to know about heaven is in the Bible. God inspired the Bible. God wrote the Bible through inspired men. Anything he wanted you to know about heaven, he put in the Bible. If he, don't want you, if he didn't want you to know about it, he left it out. We need to be very careful that we go to extraneous sources. This book, this Bible, has everything we need to be a complete Christian. Second Timothy says this, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be, what does it say? Complete. Everything you need to be a mature, complete man or woman of God is found in the Scriptures. Now, I bring that up because I want to learn about sanctification. I want to learn how to do it right. Where do I go? I go to the Word of God, and that's what we're going to do tonight. And in fact, if I go to the Word of God, it's right there in front of me what I should do. I don't know why it is sometimes we read the Scriptures, and it's, it's, it's always there, and we just keep missing it. I'll give you a few. For example, 1 Corinthians one thirty. 
says, Because of Him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom, righteousness, redemption, and sanctification. He became sanctification to me. I skipped one here, 1 Thessalonians 5. Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely. Notice who's doing the sanctification there. Who is it? God Himself. Let God do the sanctifying. Let Jesus become to us sanctification. How about Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30? Come to me, all you who are laboring or heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. A yoke is a device that, that uh, keeps two horses or two oxen in tandem so they work together. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. Learn of me. My yoke is easy. Why? Because I'll do all the work. I'll do all the work. It's not hard. Just yoke up with me. Go where I go. Do what I do. Say what I say. Let me be the strength. Let me be your sanctification. John fifteen five. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. From apart from me, you can do nothing. Listen, everything the branch needs, all the life-giving fluids and everything else that the branch needs comes from the vine. The branch literally just lets the vine do all the work. That's what we need to do. We need to let Jesus be Jesus in us. I'll give you one more. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And Paul, and Paul says, in the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. In other words, I get up every morning and I put my faith in Jesus, and I let Jesus be Jesus in me. I, I get off this mouse wheel thing that we're always on about perform, 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 got to be better, got to be better, got to be better. And I just get up every day, and I put my faith in Jesus Christ and let Him live through me. That's a different life, folks. That's a completely different life. So I want to propose a new definition of sanctification. Sanctification is the process of Christian growth that has more to do with how dependent you are becoming on Christ, not simply with becoming better. Am I more dependent on Jesus today than I was a year ago? Am I more dependent on Him today than I was 10 years ago or 15 years ago or 20 years ago? Again, that's a different lifestyle than it is just trying to perform, perform, perform. So I believe that. I believe I need to let Jesus be Jesus in me, but how do I do that in practice? It's easy to say. It's easy to quote scriptures and say, look at what the scripture says, but how do I do it every single day in practice? Now that brings us to our topic tonight, which is the battle with sin. Now, some of you may be looking and think, well, he just completely switched subjects, but I haven't switched subjects at all. I'm going to talk about how we do battle with sin, and I'm going to circle right back around and show you how we connect that up to letting Jesus be Jesus in us. So let's talk a little bit about the battle with sin. Let's read our verses, uh, Romans 6, 11 through 14. If you got your Bible, I encourage you to bring it. I encourage you to open it. Uh, I encourage you to underline and mark. There's just something about that to me that connects me with Scripture. I don't really understand it. But I just, I like that and I always encourage people to do that. Let's read it. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lust. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, 
for you are not under law, but under grace. This is really an amazing passage of Scripture. And uh, we're going to learn four things uh, from, this, from these two or three verses here that we're going to look at. The first thing we're going to learn is this. There is a throne being contested in your life. Okay? There is a throne being contested in your life. Paul says this, Therefore, do not let sin reign. The word reign is just the verb form of what a king does, right? Don't let sin reign. Somebody is reigning. Somebody is ruling in your life. Somebody is on the throne. And Paul is saying, don't let sin be the ruler. So the first thing we learn is there is a throne being contested. Number two, the second thing we learn, there is a rebel power that is challenging the throne. This challenger, this revolutionary, this rebel power, uh, Paul refers to it as sin. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Now listen, Paul is not talking about sinful acts here. He's not interested in this point about this sin or that sin. He's referring to sin as a power. Don't let sin reign. Again, we're going to learn this tonight if we don't learn anything else. Sin is not interested in just one act. It, it, it is interested in domination. It wants to dominate your life. It wants to rule your life. It's, it's not interested in just... Satan's not sitting there, boy, if I can just get her to do this one sin, what a victory for me if I can just do that. No. It's not, it's not one sin. It's domination. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's the end game. It wants to rule and reign in your life. Number three... There is a fortress that is under attack. And the fortress that is under attack is your body. It's your flesh. Again, verse 12, Therefore, do not let sin reign, where? In your mortal body. He's talking about in your flesh. So there's a throne that's being contested. There is a rebel challenger called sin, which is a challenger to the throne. And the fortress that's under attack is your body. Number four, and this is the most important thing. Your own desires are the weapons that are used against you. Your own desires are the weapon that is used against you. Read it again. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lust. The word lust there is also in some of your translations may be passions or it may be uh, desires. Now, listen, if you're going to battle sin and you're going to win against sin in your life, you have to understand the strategy of the enemy. Okay? You have to. You have to understand the way our Satan is our enemy. You have to understand the way sin works. And that's what I'm going to explain to you tonight. Now, here's a question I want to look at. How would you attack an impregnable fortress? How would you attack an impregnable fortress? You see, if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, I got nothing for you. I I got nothing for you, to be honest. You are in the kingdom of darkness. You are a slave to sin. You have no no hope. Without turning to Jesus Christ, the Bible says you will die in your sin. You'll never get out of it. There is no battle going on. You've already been overtaken. You're a slave to sin. But if you're a Christian, you've been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. You're no longer a slave to sin. You're a slave of righteousness. You're a child of God. Listen, you are an impregnable fortress. You're an impregnable fortress. 
Satan cannot make you do anything. He can't make you do anything. Before, he just led you around like a ring in your nose, wherever he sent, wherever he wanted you to go. You can't do that anymore. You've been changed. You're a new creation. You're an impregnable fortress. So how would you attack an impregnable fortress? Well, we've all seen Helen of Troy, right? The Trojan horse. How do you get inside an impregnable fortress? You get somebody on the inside. You see, in our fortress or in our castle, we have these servants. And I call these servants desires or passion. And, and what sin wants to do is it wants to come inside and it wants to turn your desires around. It wants to make traitors out of them. It wants to make secret agents, if you will. He wants to seduce those desires. And if he can do that, if he can get somebody on the inside, he can capture parts of that fortress. Now, the word that's used here for lust or passions or desires is a completely neutral word. Our, our desires that we have in our flesh, they're just natural. They're not good and they're not bad in, in and of themselves. It's how they're used. It's like, it's like money. I say that all the time. Money's not good. Money's not bad. Money's just money. It's how you use money, right? It's the same thing with our desires. They're just natural. But again, sin wants to turn those desires into enemy agents. It wants to turn them into weapons of unrighteousness. I was thinking this morning about the story of Samson and Delilah. And, and I'm sure you all know that story. And as long as Delilah was a faithful wife, it was a perfectly legitimate thing for Samson to please her. But when she went to the other side and became a traitor, pleasing her led to his death. See, it's the same thing with our desires. If our desires are faithful to the Word of God, if our desires are faithful to the values of God, then please them, give in to them, because that, there's nothing wrong with that. But if sin captures them and makes traitors out of them, then pleasing those desires will be faithful or fatal to your spirit. Let me give you a couple of examples. Let's take hunger and thirst or the desire for food and the desire for drink. Nothing wrong with those, are there? They're just perfectly natural desires that everybody uh, has. And if, as long as I go on and I, and I please those desires and I'm pleasing God, uh, Paul said, whether you eat or whether you drink, do what? Do it all to the glory of God. There's nothing wrong with it. As long man, we can get together in here and we can have, you know, like we had in here on Friday night and those steaks. And, man, we have food and fellowship and fun. It was wonderful. It's great. Nothing wrong with that whatsoever. But, you see, Satan can come in and turn those desires into things like bulimia and anorexia and alcoholism and gluttony. And all of a sudden, those, those just standard natural desires are now ruling you. That's what he does. He turns your just normal desires and makes them traitors. Let's take, for example, the desire for sexual satisfaction. Once again, perfectly natural desire that we're, that we're born with. God gave us that. There's absolutely nothing wrong with it. And as long as it's in the confines of marriage, it is a wonderful, glorious, honorable gift that God has given us. But sin will come in and capture that thing and make it a traitor and it'll turn it into homosexuality and it'll turn it into pornography, it'll turn it into fornication, it'll turn it into adultery and it will destroy you. 
It's your own desires. He can't make you do anything, but he takes your desires and he makes traitors out of them. That's his strategy. Now, how does sin succeed at this strategy? Well, we all know the answer to this. I really shouldn't have to tell you. It, it, it lies to us, doesn't it? It, it, it lies to us. It's, a, it's what I call a half-truth. It says, you know what? That's going to feel real good. That is going to feel real good. Just go ahead and give in to that, man. That's going to be, it's going to be good. By the way, that's true. That's true. See, the Bible never denies that sin is not pleasurable. Hebrews 11.25, talking about Moses, said this, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. See, sin is pleasurable. What it doesn't tell you is that it's just for a moment. Just for a moment. And later comes the misery. And later comes the destruction. You see, as unbelievers... When we were out in the world and we didn't know Christ, we were completely ignorant of, of what's going on. Completely ignorant. First Peter 1.14 says this, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. See, he's saying, you, you, you used to not understand how your desires could be turned against you, but now you know. Now you know. Don't give in to that. Don't, don't do that anymore because you're not ignorant anymore. You, you understand now how Satan and sin works. Don't allow that to happen. See, we know our desires are deceitful. Ephesians 4.22, Paul says this, Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through what? Deceitful desires. That's how Satan works. It, it takes your desires and it deceives you and says, I've got a better way. Just come on over here, man. This is going to be great. This is going to make you happy. This is going to make you fulfilled. And it just leads you over there and it turns that desire. And now all of a sudden, it blows up in your face. Pleasurable for just a moment. See, sin promises satisfaction and happiness. Listen to me. Sin always delivers cheap, fleeting, shallow stimulation. Cheap, fleeting, shallow stimulation. It never lasts. It never lasts. That's deceitful desires. In the end, by the way, we've, have we all been there? We've all been there. We're left holding this bag, and we're less content than we were before. We're less peaceful than we were before. We're less hopeful, and we're more guilty. We're more restless. We're more discouraged. And of course, we are more enslaved. Paul says this, Romans 6, 13. Do not present your members. By the way, your members are your feet, your hands, your ears, your eyes, your mouth. Our physical members. Don't present your members as instruments. By the way, that word means weapons. Don't present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Paul is saying, don't let that rebel power of sin capture your desires. Don't let it capture the members of your body and turn them into weapons against the one true king. Don't do that. Don't do that. You see, if I could get anything across to you tonight, it's this. 
I think so many of us fight the battle of sin at the surface. We think it's a surface battle. We, we focus on the acts themselves. It, it, it somehow, if I can just say no to that, and, and no to that, and no to that. And see, that just puts us on that performance wheel, right? Because, because sometimes we're not going to say no, and we're going to fail, and we're going to focus on the failures, and we just get back on, and here we go again. Listen, it is never just about the acts themselves. The battle that's going on in your life is far deeper than about a few sinful acts. It's not The issue here is not what acts you do and what acts you don't do, what desires you fulfill and what desires you don't fulfill. The issue is who is your king? Who is king of your life? That's the issue. Who is sitting on the throne of your heart? It's way. Don't focus on that. Focus on who's on the throne because that is where the battle is going to rage. And too many of we're just, we're, it's like we're completely ignorant that that battle's going on and we're just got, he's, he's, Satan will distract us and get us, just focus on the act. Just try not to do that. Use your willpower. The battle's in the heart. The battle is who is on the throne. That's where it is. God is our king. This is his throne. My, my body belongs to Him. My members belong to Him. My desires belong to Him. He is my King. See, we've got to get rid of this mindset. It's just one sin. Listen, I've been there. I've said that. It's just one sin. It's just one sin. 1 Peter 2.11 says this, I, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. He's saying you're only here for a little while. You're just passing through. Abstain from the desires of the flesh which wage war against your soul. There is a battle going on, and it is not about getting you to commit one act. It is about your soul. Josh and I, a few years ago, were down in Sopchoppy River, and uh, there's this really cool sign down there. And uh, somebody years ago took a refuge sign and nailed it to a cypress tree. And over the years, that cypress tree has just completely grown around that sign. That is what sin wants to do to you. That is what sin wants to do to you. It wants to dominate you. It wants to engross you. It wants to take you over. It wants to kill you, to steal from you, and destroy you. It is not interested in just getting you to commit one sinful act. It wants to take you over. It wants to rule and reign in your life. That is the battle that's going on. So how do we fight? How do we fight? I'm always big on, okay, give me something practical here. Give me, give me something practical. How do we do it? How do we fight? Well, we are in Romans 6, 11 through 14, but I got to remind you, five chapters have come before this. Okay, and you, you can go back, if you haven't had a chance, go back on YouTube. They're all stored there. You can go back and, and watch them all and review. But Paul has spent five chapters, before he ever gets to chapter 6 and tells us how to fight sin, he spends five chapters telling us how Christ has already fought sin for us. Five chapters he's spent teaching us what Christ has done for us before he ever even mentions anything about us fighting sin with our own volition or our own will. You see, here's the thing, folks. The only sin 
you can ever defeat is a sin that Jesus has died for. It's the only sin you'll ever defeat. Again, if you're not a believer, you got no ch- you're going to die in your sins. You've got no chance. But as a believer, Christ died on the cross for that sin, for me, for my sins. Peter says he bore my sins on that tree. He's already died for it. So I, I have got the ability through Christ to defeat that. And this is what we've got to understand. Listen, sanctification is always, 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 always about relationship. It's always about relationship. It begins with my union with Christ and it ends with my union with Christ. I have no chance apart from Christ. No chance. But in Christ... I'm more than victorious. In Christ, I'm more than a conqueror. In Christ, I am a victor over my sin. Now, I'm going to give you four things that Jesus has did, done for me already, done for you if you're a believer. Number one, Christ died for you. Romans 5, 8 through 9, God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been justified by His blood much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. Jesus died for me. He bore my sins on that tree. Number two, we learned in the last two weeks that when He hung on that cross, God saw me as dying with Him. It's an amazing, mysterious thing. Romans 6, 6, Paul says this, We know that our old self was crucified with Him. For what purpose? So that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. You see that? Something happened on that cross so that when 2,000 years later when Derek comes along, the body of sin in my life could be brought to nothing and I don't have to be enslaved to sin. He did that. I wasn't even around yet. wasn't even thought yet. And he had already prepared the way. Number three, we are united with Christ. Romans 6, 5, we have been united with him in a death like his. Now that I'm born and I've put my faith in him, his death is applied to me. I am in a union with Christ. I said it last week and I hope everybody got it. What makes you a Christian is not walking down an aisle and praying a prayer. What makes you a Christian is not coming to church every Sunday and Wednesday night. That doesn't make you a Christian. What makes you a Christian is that you are united with Jesus Christ. You are in Him. He is in you. That makes you a Christian. And when you're united with Him, that changes everything. Number four, God justifies us or makes us right with Him. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that, there it is again, in Him, in that unity with Him, we might become the righteousness of God. Four things. Christ died for our sins. God saw us as having died with Him. God united us to Christ through our faith. God justifies us because of our union with Christ. All of that precedes Romans 6.11. All of that has already happened. Now we come to Romans 6.11. By the way, what I just told you is the difference between Christianity and moral improvement programs. Which, by the way, is every other religion is just a moral improvement program. The difference is what Christ did for me. Joel Osteen wrote a book, something about seven steps to a better life or something like that. I'll never mention Jesus in that book. That's a moral improvement program. 
That's all it is. My victory over sin is enabled and empowered by what Jesus has already done for me. You leave Jesus out of it, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. Good luck. Maybe you can get a better, I don't know. I'm not interested in it. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I want real victory over sin, and that comes through Jesus Christ. Paul says this, number five, consider yourself dead to sin. We finally get here to chapter six, and he's told us all the stuff that Jesus did for me. He says, okay, Derek, start to think about yourself this way. Romans 6, 11, even so, consider yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Start seeing yourself that way. Do you remember last week I talked about the girl, I was watching that thing, uh, another YouTube thing, <laughs> about this girl that had anorexia. And she would look in that mirror and she was, she was beautiful and healthy. And she'd look in that mirror and all she could see was fat and unattractive. The reality was she was beautiful, but she couldn't see that. See, it, I hear preachers sometime. I don't mean to pick on Joel Osteen, but like Joel Osteen. And he'll say stuff like this, I am a winner. I am, y'all seen that? I am this and I am that. As somehow you could speak, in other words, that's not real, but you can speak it into existence. Listen, Paul is not saying that. Paul is saying, see who you really are. You understand me? The difference there? The anorexic looks in the, in the mirror and sees unattractive. She can't see who she really is. We look at ourselves and we think, loser, I can never win this battle. I can't do this. Paul says, no, see who you really are in Christ. That's not you. You died on that cross with Him. You are in Jesus. Jesus is in you. You have His grace. You have His power. You have His enablement. That is who you really are. Start to see yourself that way. Embrace it for what it means to your life. And if you do that, if you do that, Paul says, therefore, therefore, choose God and say no. Choose God and say no. See, this finally, we get to this direct engagement with temptation. Sin is, is coming into these desires and it's, it's lying to you and it's saying, man, if you just go do that, it feels good. You know, you're married, you got this, your marriage, and, and, and all of a sudden one day you see somebody else, and it's like, ugh, you know, it'd be better over here. You'd be happier over here. And you're getting pulled over that way. That's, that's how it all works, right? It's a half-truth. It's a lie. It's, there's, there's, there's destruction and misery. What do we do at that time? We choose God, and we say no. We choose God. And we say no. Romans 6, 12 through 13. Let's read it together. Therefore, Paul says, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. That is a command to us. Because of all Jesus has done to empower you and enable you, now just say no. Don't let it happen. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lust. Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. There's kind of this, what I call bumper sticker morality in America. Just say no. That's not Christian. That's not Christian. You don't just say no. See, 
five great things that Jesus has done for us has undergirded our ability to say no. I don't just say no. I say no in the power of who I am in Jesus Christ. Saying no is just the last step. But it comes based on and after what Jesus has done for us. But listen, we have to say no. I mean, at the end of the day, you have to say no. You, it's an engagement of your will where you choose God. I said it a few weeks ago in a sermon here. I choose God. I choose God. I was thinking this, I was thinking yesterday trying to come up with some examples, and I, but I, I don't know if I have to. I think we all know what temptation is, don't we? We all know what it is. But you have to choose God. You're sitting there in, in, in front of your computer, or you're sitting there with a piece of, of, of gossip, or you're sitting there and you, everything in you wants to watch something you shouldn't watch or say something you shouldn't say, and it's juicy, and it's tempting, what do you do? Do you just, oh, do you just bear down? <laughs> no, no, I just can't, you know. Or do you step back and say, Jesus died for me. I'm in Him. He's in me. God, I, I choose you. You are on the throne of my heart. I choose you. You know, the Bible says resist Satan and he'll flee from you. I don't know any better way to resist Satan than to choose God. I don't know any better way to resist Satan than to choose God. I'm going to close tonight um, the same way we have the last, uh, the last couple of weeks. And that is, I just really feel, listen, there's not a doubt in my mind here. Um, there's nobody in this room's perfect. We all struggle with temptation. There's none of us that are perfect. Some of you here, though, have been struggling with some things in your life for a long, long time. A long, long time that you just cannot seem to get rid of. Um, I believe, I, I don't believe in chance. I don't believe in coincidence. I believe in a sovereign God. And if you're here tonight, you're here for a reason. You're here to hear this message. Tonight, I'm going to ask you as we're, we're just going to come down, uh, make some time at the altar, come down here and choose God. Maybe for the first time you realize that this isn't a, a battle of the wills, but there's powers at play here that far above anything you and I can even understand. I'm going to side with Jesus. I'm going to choose Jesus. I'm going to let Jesus be Jesus in me and let him fight the battle for me. Tonight may be that time for you. So I would just ask, you don't, again, you don't have to, but uh, if you want to just come down, spend some time at the altar in prayer, and just like I said, just in your spirit, say, God, I choose you to be on the throne of my life. I'm going to pray, and if you will, if you want to spend some time at the altar, you can make your way on down. Father, we thank you for this wonderful, great, unbelievable book of Romans. God, I am just, I, I, am, I am always brought up short when I understand how sufficient your word is. That everything we need to be a complete man or woman of God is found right here in your word. If we'll just stop and take the time to read it and study it. Tonight, Lord, you've opened up to the word to us on temptation. You've opened up the word to us on the battle with sin. Father, if there are men here tonight 
that are, are struggling with things like pornography. If there are men here tonight that are struggling with different things like that, God, let tonight, let them tonight, I pray in Jesus' name, break free from this by putting you on the throne of their life. God, if there are people here that are undergoing temptations in their marriage, they're undergoing temptations uh, in their lifestyle, they're undergoing these other temptations, God, somehow, some way, Holy Spirit, make this word true and, and just cement it in their heart. And let this be the night that they just affirm that you are on the throne of their life, that they'll turn those desires and those things over to you. They'll present their heart to you, their members to you as instruments of righteousness and not unrighteousness. Father, we love you. We thank you. We honor you. We glorify you. You are so worthy, Lord. You are so worthy. Thank you for this time. Thank you for this time. There is just something about, there's just something just incredibly powerful about opening the word amongst the people of God. God, thank you. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for this opportunity, God, but we don't want to leave here the same. We don't want to leave here the same. I don't want to leave here the same. God, help us be different. Help us be different. Help us to know who we are in you. Help us to see that way, think that way. God, to realize that is now our reality. I'm not trying to speak something into existence. It's already there. Help me to see it. Help us to see it. Help us to understand it. In Jesus' name.